Evolutionary.org podcast coming your way, episode 515. Steve and the mobster joining me. How's it going, man? This is a fun one because it's super interesting for me, and it's one of those future technologies, Steve. So let's hit it. So we're going to be talking about ACE-031. We're talking about the doses, cycles, benefits, side effects, all that good stuff. So this is going to be a really interesting one. So it's also known as ACVR2B. Soluble form of activin type IIB receptor. It's an inhibitor of myostatin and other naturally occurring proteins that limit muscle growth. Now, why does that happen in our body? Why do we have mechanisms in our body to halt muscle growth? And look, the bottom line is it's called survival. You don't just grow forever. If you just grew forever, you would end up a thousand pounds of muscle, yeah. right? You would just get keep gaining strength forever, but it doesn't work like that. So that kind of flies in the face uh, to a lot of the bro science you hear out there. What happens is, you know, I, like, look, you know, I could be a power lifter my whole life. I'm not going to be as strong in my 70s as I was in my 30s. That's just, that just happens. You can't just keep improving over time. Now, these types of PEDs, in this case, the ACE-031 gives you the ability to kind of open that can of worms to where you do grow more and more. Now, this is kind of a double-edged sword because people who suffer from bigorexia, we've seen them dropping, dropping dead really, really young in their 30s and their 40s. You know, I'm thinking of Rich Piana, for example, definitely a guy who had bigorexia and a guy who was obsessed with being big, being big and couldn't accept losing even a half a pound. Because he would flip out. Oh, my God, I lost a centimeter off my muscle. I'm, I'm freaking out. So for him, something like this would be right up his alley. But unfortunately, you know, without these mechanisms in place to kind of give a check on the body, you know, that you'll end up basically just just dying. You know, you, you can't just keep growing forever. So why would they come up with this compound genetically developed to bind myostatin before it can attach to its receptor to halt muscle growth? The two biopharma companies that worked on this compound were Shire and Aceleron. So as I talked about, the myostatin, it's a hormone in our bodies. It signals muscles to stop growing and replicating. So when you inhibit, you block myostatin, your muscles will be able to grow bigger and you'll become stronger. So this is why myostatin inhibitors are something that bodybuilders have dreamed of, really, uh, throughout history. I mean, you can, I'm sure you could go back to, you know, world wars and generals wanting their guys to be bigger and stronger than their opponent and trench warfare. And then you come up into the fifties and sixties, guys wanted to get big seventies, eighties. And then now we have access to stuff like this, which are out there, but it's going to cost you. It's not cheap. So any, anytime you see, one of these compounds cheap out there, or if it's in the bottle or something, it claims to be a myostatin inhibitor. We've seen these products like that on the forums. You know it's bullshit because something like this that does something like this, there's going to be a lot of demand and very little supply out there for the PED community. So it's not going to be something cheap at all. And we're going to get into the price later on. It'll kind of blow your mind how expensive this stuff is. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring in Mobster and why don't, you, um, why don't you give your thoughts on it? Right, so one of the things I said before, guys, is that you should look at the medical or clinical uh, research. What was it being developed for? Why was it being created? 
trust me, guys, it is not for athletes. It is not for bodybuilders. It is not for weightlifters. But, of course, we like the idea, in principle, of this uh, unleashed muscle growth. Right Now, there's a couple of things. Firstly, the, the medical stuff. Muscular dystrophy is an obvious one, Stephen, muscle-wasting uh, conditions. And I'm thinking not just of muscle-wasting conditions and diseases, but also, for example, if a patient has to be immobilized. And we know, give you the, cl the classic example here, Steve, and I'm, I'm sure several of our listeners have had this. You've had a broken leg and they've had to put that baby in a cast. Now, imagine you've broken your hips or your lower back and the surgeons have done a fabulous job of putting you back together, but you are immobilized. You will shrink. And that's just kind of normal. But in a, in, in a way, you want the muscles to stay a little bit bigger than the way that they might shrink down just to support the bone growth and the support, you, you know, when you come, when you finally manage to get out of bed, you don't want your arms so weak that you can't use crutches and so on and so forth. So the idea that there's a, a drug out there that would inhibit muscular shrinkage by opening up, so to speak, the taps that allow for muscular growth while you're doing nothing is useful in a medical scenario. Go back to the nature thing that Steve talks about. As a good example, we've talked about this on another podcast way back at the beginning when Steve and I first started doing this stuff together. It was things like when you're out hunting with a spear and a bow and arrow and all that kind of stuff way back in the day, the idea that if you weigh 400 pounds of muscle, you're going to require an enormous amount of food and an enormous amount of energy. And quite simply, you're not going to be running with the pack of guys going hunting and chasing after antelope and the like. It's just not how humans have survived. This, and, and so Steve talks about the blue zone, blue zone uh, people, when he talked about the healthy and older healthy people that live around the world, these are never giants. They are never enormous 300, 400 pound people. So we're smaller. So arguably, nature doesn't want us to get too big. As a, as a prime example, in nature, and I'm thinking here of the sperm whale, Steve. The the calf requires three tons, just three tons of milk per day, and will put on. I think it's something ridiculous, like a hundred kilograms a day, from feeding with its mum. And its mum for the three months that it's doing this stuff, it doesn't feed. I believe it's just that's the kind of stuff that you're looking at, guys. So the the, the, the volume of food and even other things like injuries, Steve. If you add uninhibited muscle to a normal frame we've talked about this before your frame your connective tissue the fascia hasn't been affected by the myostatin inhibition your muscles have so the potential for muscle tears muscle strains uh, even bone strains bone aches is a lot higher so again on paper in principle we like the idea of uninhibited unlimited muscle but in reality there are issues. And there's further issues that came with these studies, which Steve and I will get into. Back to you, Steve. So let's get into more stuff about ACE031 here. Look, all you need to do to get a dramatic increase in muscle mass is just a little decrease in myostatin. You know, it's there. It's keeping you, it's keeping you from building muscle. It's keeping you from building strength. So you're also going to need more food to feed those muscles as well. So another problem is that our heart would continue growing since it's a muscle or time. This could lead to heart failure during, uh, to have this organ work too hard. We've seen the autopsies of these bodybuilders who have been opened up and yes, they're bigger guys, 
but their organs are much bigger than they should be. You know, double the size, 1.5 the size, double the, you know, or three times the size even. And we've seen them have a lot of things in their body. You know, we've seen like Dallas McCarver. He had, he had cancer. They found cancer in him when they did the autopsy on him. So what what is the long-term risk of, of running a myostatin inhibitor like this? You know, I mean, obviously, if you've got an unhealthy heart, it's going to inhibit your gains over time. Uh, if you got unhealthy uh, organs, it's going to inhibit. So th- these are the risks that come with using these myostatin inhibitors. I just want to be clear. Um, you know, I wonder, too, a lot of this stomach distance, distantation you see with these guys, you know, the plumboism um, look. I wonder if that has to do with myostatin as well. Just just growing, growing those organs and growing the gut so much, you know that could that could definitely increase it. I think I think the main the main thing is too much food. Um, these guys are eating very poor. They eat a lot of inflammatory foods, a lot of fast food, a lot of junk foods that they shouldn't be eating, and that causes it too. So, um, another another thing, and we've seen this in studies with myostatin inhibitors is you might have one a muscle group or muscle uh, grow more than another. So um, I can remember reading a study that they did with myostatin inhibitors on, on females. And in this study, overweight females were given a one-time dose of 250 milligrams of ACE031. After a month, their muscles in the thighs grew over a pound. Their lean body mass increased 3%. And that's quite a, a change in their uh, lean body mass. But the point is their thighs grew, you know, so it's not like you're going to take it and it's going to magically make the muscles you want to grow, grow and the muscles you don't want to grow, not grow. So that's kind of, that's kind of a point. They did one more study, a mobster on uh, young boys with muscle dystrophy and the test subject ended up having gum and nose bleeding. So Shire and Aceleron pharmaceutical companies eventually abandoned their partnership. And since 2013, no further developments have been conducted. But, you know, since, uh, you know, just like everything else, a lot of these compounds, that's what happens. But then bodybuilders, obviously, they pick them up. And that's why uh, ACE-031 has been sold as a research chemical since then. Yep. So I'm also jumping in. Yeah. So one of the things that Steve and I discussed in the pre-show is the element of how studies are done and the, uh, what some of our younger listeners might fail to recognise is what's called peer-reviewed research. So, for example, as Steve's already quoted, you've had a result where, I mean, I'd actually question, for example, the, the thigh growth, Steve, because I would say, was they only being allowed to do leg extensions or, or leg press? Uh, because that's quite often done in studies where literally they just literally do two or three exercises and those are the only muscles that are scanned or MRI'd or checked or whatever, or measured. Uh, and, and obviously, it's the actual specific use, as I mentioned earlier on, with regards to clinical use, muscular dystrophy being an example that I used, the young kids had gums and nosebleed, and like Steve's already said. And then you've got other research chemicals that are out there, where, for example, Steve, a, a Myo029, no results whatsoever. None, 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 the, the, trial, the trial failed miserably. And the subjects had zero strength gains. In another one, which we uh, mentioned in the article, uh, ACE083, and they, there's an image of a mouse. And it's had its skin removed, et cetera, et cetera, ready for dissection. And they appear to have site-injected one of the legs. And 
because only one of the legs is enhanced, the other leg's not. So you go, okay, that would be great because, as Steve said, if you have general unlimited muscle growth, you have issues with different muscles getting out of proportion, which would be, again, no good to a bodybuilder, no huge arms, silly shoulders, or whatever else. And especially, as we said, as Steve said earlier on, with muscular, uh, where, 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 where um, the perception of what you look like is skewed. And we see this with the guys that have injected sun enhancement oils. The same issue would apply here. People would just be injecting their arms. So they'd end up with 40-inch um, biceps and triceps, but almost no chest and very weak shoulders, which could, could barely be able to lift their arms up. It needs to be kind of balanced, and it's not balanced. And, and none of the studies that we're looking at here and none of the uh, items that have been looked at have come across really, really well. One, for example, Steve, and I'm talking about side effects again, uh, in a study with females, the concentration of FSH follicle-stimulating hormone dropped significantly. What does that mean? It means that their hair growth slowed down. And guys don't like hair growth slowing down. Women like it even less. It's the baldness, alopecia is quite, uh, it's not, not sex-specific. It happens all the time. But trust me, the majority of users and listeners to this podcast and on the forums are men. And the amount of men that worry about hair loss is enormous. Steve knows this because he's seen the same forum questions and threads that I have. So, guys, would you want to have huge arms, sight-enhanced, because you've used some sort of myostatin inhibitor that actually works sight-specific, but lose your hair or slowly lose your hair? So, again, every single study we've looked at, even for different versions of this, has had either uh, some issue, just for example, which we'll get into briefly, the cost, or side effects, or no specific result, and so on and so forth. So that I, I have a question right now, Steve. I don't mind that companies make products available because there's a demand for them, but arguably I, the magic elixir, guys, isn't out there yet. There isn't a specific one that we're going to go, right, this works, and you get muscular growth all over, the heart state's in great condition, you keep your hair, there are no nosebleeds, there's no gum bleeding, and it works for men as well for women. There's nothing nothing exists like that yet. So, I mean, we, we do this podcast as per usual to give you as much information as possible to answer questions that we know are being asked. That's another reason why we do this podcast. And we look at these things before we come on. And, Steve, right now, the, the, that, that little magic pill, that magic injection that we want doesn't exist, and it doesn't even exist for the medical conditions that these products were being looked at as being developed for. When a pharmaceutical company abandons a, a, a research project, you could potentially be talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Certainly, I would say there's anywhere between 50, 30 and $50 million, Steve, as an investment just for this. Now, that's not so bad for a huge pharmaceutical company, but for the, by the time it gets to market, it could easily be on the order, especially with the FDA and other governmental requirements, not just in the US, but across the world, on the order of a billion dollars, a thousand million dollars to bring a product like this to market for muscular dystrophy, never mind for athletic use, and they've abandoned the projects or they've failed or it hasn't worked or the side effects haven't been worth it. So keep that in mind, guys. That's the way the pharmaceutical companies, like if they've developed a super steroid, we'd be all over it. But it would still cost them a billion dollars to bring it to market. But we'd know about it, we'd want it, we'd be using it. This would be the, the one that we're all looking for, and it hasn't happened 
in the way that it needs to. And again, the rules for this stuff is you need multiple studies by different groups of people to allow peer-reviewed research prove that the technology, the chemical, the actual physical use at the dosing that's suggested in the original study works as suggested. And that hasn't happened yet at UC. All right, so let's get into the fun stuff, uh, how to dose it. Um, so look, at the, the bottom line is, look, you know, you're, some of you out there may want to use this. Some of you out there are, you know, you have bigorexia. You want to get big. You want to try it out. You want to see what it can do for you. You want to get big quick. You want to get strong quick. This might be an option for you, you know, but most of you, and we've talked about the, some, you know, some of these compounds too in prior podcasts. Most of you, this is just simply out of your league. And we're going to get into the cost of this. And it's yeah. going to show you that it's going to knock most of you out of the league too. Um, here's the thing. Um, there's been studies done on this. Um, and it, the subjects experience a reduction in leptin concentration and uh, boosted good fat hormone. So there is some argument that ACE031 also can help with fat loss. So this is something that a lot of guys would love. I mean, who who wants, who doesn't want to lose fat and gain a shit ton of muscle and a shit ton of, of strength quickly? Who? You know, so yeah. another study uh, showed alkaline phosphatase in the blood and reduced collagen telopeptide so that shows that it helps strengthen the bones uh, so you weight train and your bones already get strong so this is this is interesting that the, the bones had an effect all right so the fun the fun part we're going to talk about is the dosage and the cost so rat studies um these are the real thing um they were given 10 milligrams per kilogram so to match those types of numbers a normal size adult bodybuilder would have to use about a gram a month, all things being equal. Yeah. So this means that if you were to use a gram, it would cost you a lot of money. So uh, dosing from bodybuilders, one to three milligrams per kilogram of body weight every one to two weeks. So I've seen, uh, Mobster and I were talking about this on the pre-show I've seen one milligram selling for about 175 bucks. I've seen other places selling five milligrams for about 150 bucks. So let's kind of do the math on that mobster. So <laughs> go through the math. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, two seconds. Yep. Yeah. So I, I run the maths for Steve in the pre-show and, uh, we come up with a figure of $12,000 a month. And that's that's at the best and most reasonable price that we could. And um, we talked about the potential for an obsessive person coming into the sport. Let's say they weigh, I think the average for the UK is somewhere around 154 pounds, and they desire to become a Mr. Olympia. So we go, okay, if they gained one pound of muscle in the way that the very early study that we mentioned did, arguably maybe maybe two pounds of muscle a month, but it was continuous while they used this product. And of course, they would gain some muscle from training anyway, as you know, Steve. You'd arguably be looking at a cost of somewhere between 
and this is how it gets crazy, 120000 to a quarter of a million dollars just on this one peptide, not on anything else you're doing, not on your training, not on your clothing, not on certainly not on your nutrition, and all the other things that are required in order to become a hopefully, and again, it still would be hopefully, competitive bodybuilder at the Olympia level because you don't know how your physique's going to turn out. That No one does. Not the Olympia level guys, no one. And so they, one assumes they've spent a quarter of a million dollars in order to look something like a top 10 Olympia competitor. I said in the pre-show to Steve, right, there are outside of Arnold who made more money outside of bodybuilding in films and in property than he did within the sport. Only three bodybuilders that I probably I would argue that have made any serious money from the sport itself and then, again, only towards the end or height of their careers. And that would be Phil Heath, Ronnie Carmen, and Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler more than probably the other two because he had a great deal of sponsors and I believe he's still doing something on the order of about $2 million, $3 million a year right now. So the cost of versus return on the likelihood that you might arguably look like a top 10 Olympia competitor, uh, it's, I don't know that it adds up, Steve. And again, it's this disposable income thing. We did a podcast the other day where the numbers were even worse. It was more than that per day for that particular peptide. Check, look up, look at look at a list of peptides for that particular one. It's just out there, Steve, in terms of the money. Uh, there's a suggestion, for example, top 10 Olympia competitors or even the top 20, top 30. Uh, spending on the order of thirty to fifty thousand dollars to get ready for a competition, whether that's loss of income, peptides, growth hormone, anabolic steroids, and any other drug that they might do. And again, you get to the top ten. Only the top three are getting anywhere close to that kind of money. Uh, you're only looking at somewhere between ten thousand and thirty thousand dollars for the other top competitions outside of the Arnold and Olympia. So again, the maths don't add up. Yeah, and again, the sponsorship, the return. You'd need to have a Coca-Cola or a Nike with you. And again, we're not really seeing that in the sport as yet. So it's, again, cost versus return, incredibly expensive. That's just on the money. Um, potential for risk is still quite high. And minimal studies that have worked. So for me, ultimately, I would say even if I had muscle dysmorphia, even if I, my, my desire was to get the 400 pounds, I'd have to say a no. Uh, the, the only thing, the one plus, was probably the simple fact that you only need to inject every two weeks, Steve, which is fabulous. And relatively speaking, it's a quite a small amount, uh, you know, uh, 100 to 300 milligrams every two weeks. So in terms of actual liquid powder, whatever you want to call it, going in, it's minimal. And the amount of times that you need a jab is minimal. Here's the thing, guys, you can gain some of you will gain on your first steroid cycle 10 pounds some of you might even gain more and that's going to cost you five or six hundred bucks especially if you buy stuff during a sale versus this where you're talking about if it's if it's two pounds a month steve you're talking about six thousand dollars per pound of muscle gain so yeah it's the kind of maths etc 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 for me it, it it would be a no just on the economics uh, Half-life of this, guys, is is quite long, and it needs to be, again, that's the reason why you're only jabbing it twice a month, 10 to 15 days. I mean, look at this, Steve. If we look at all these kind of things and we go back and forth over it, you and I have gone back and forth over it on the forums and in and some of these podcasts, and 
we understand that you guys are looking for a kind of dream product, a dream drug that works in its particular way. But as I said earlier on, it needs, does it need to be site specific? So you works great if you've got a fantastic physique, but your calves are really poor, that would be good. Or is it too, if, is it generalized? And if it's generalized, you would need to be to be on top of your training to make sure that nothing got too carried away. Would it work? For example, we talked about this before, and I said people that are in bed inactive for some, due to some medical condition, what's it going to do to you going to the gym where you're physically trying to train? Do you need to train if your muscles are just getting bigger because you've had this injection? Uh, again, I would look, I'd want to look at that first study, Steve, and see, for example, as happens a lot in these kind of studies where they're only doing leg press or bench press or one, even just grip, which would be my thing. They literally just train one or two things and they use that as a control mechanism so that at the end of the cycle to say, oh, the, the study, 12, 16 weeks, their quad strength went up by 25%, their fire size went up by two inches and so on and so forth, their body fat went down, all of these kind of things. And again, what about, for example, the fact that you mentioned earlier on, Steve, um, not only were was the potential for gaining muscle there, but the potential for losing fat was there. Would that mean, for example, if you continue to take it, you'd get leaner and leaner and leaner? Uh, being super lean is amazing to look at and great for competitions. We know that. But long-term, being super lean is unhealthy. It's, there's a risk there for you to catch certain immune uh, problems with like colds and flus and, and being sniffed. And again, uh, unlimited muscular growth, like Steve said. I'd, I've, I've been fortunate and i know some of our listeners will be like we talked about just now to gain a certain amount of muscle and some cycles more than others perfectly normal there's the diminishing returns the more cycles you do you won't keep gaining 15 or 20 pounds that'd be ridiculous like steve said but if you could guarantee by use of this product to gain for argument's sake two pounds a month year on year assuming you could afford it would your body keep up? Would your body compensate? Would your organs adjust? Would, as Steve said, for example, your stomach grow? Would you have problems with not being able to get literally feed at the mechanism that you created? Just sheer volume of food that would be required would, would increase. It would increase as you grew. It doesn't stay the same. And so muscles don't grow without fuel. It's just there's a bunch of stuff out there, Steve. And like I said, would we end up with a situation where people don't go to the gym? That might be useful medical considerations but i don't know necessarily that it'd be useful for this especially if the rest of the body like i said earlier on with the connective tissue wasn't adapted back to you steve yeah so i mean final thoughts on this look i mean it's it's one of the things where give it a shot if you really want to see what this stuff is all about and you got the money you know try it out see see if you like it try it out for a couple weeks try it out for a month you know you want to uh, if, if you don't mind spending that kind of cash see what it does yeah. if you're stuck at a plateau maybe maybe it's something you know you've been stuck at the same plateau and you're getting really frustrated maybe it's something that's right up your alley you know but i wouldn't abuse it i wouldn't abuse it for a long period of time um, not just for the financial cost but also for the risks of the side effects so yeah. uh, i want to use it past then but look, at the end of the day, you know, um, a lot of these guys, these top end guys, I was talking to Mobster about this, you know, they they might be sponsored by some of these companies. And the company is going to be like, look, I'll throw you a, a couple vials of, of, of Ace, you know, will you, will you post about it on your uh, social media? 
you know? And then boom, they post about it and, and, and then they give a good review on it and, and people go and they buy a bunch of it. So I could definitely see some of the, the, the top end bodybuilders who are really, really trying to win and try to get as big as possible. I can see them being able to afford to use it because of that, you know? So, or, you know, discounts, Hey, let's give you a discount code. You know, I'm going to get, I'll give you 50% off discount code. Here's, here's the, uh, here's the code. And then they go and buy it that way. So there's, there's definitely uh, some ways, some ways to do it. Who knows? You could come on our forums if you want and um, say, Hey, I'll log this, you know, and, can I get a bottle of this stuff and I'll log it for for um for a month, and I'll do an, a daily update. Maybe the maybe one of our sponsors will be like, "Hey, I'll hook you up with a with a couple bottles here." You know, you can do it. You can do it. So, so there's different ways around the financial aspect, but at the end of the day, you know, just be, just know what you're putting in your body and uh, and know what the stuff is all about. So, it's it's definitely not something that would be something I would want to try. But it's something that a lot of you out there who do have, you know, bigorexia issues and, you know, there's nothing wrong with admitting it. You know, you walk into the gym and we see, see these guys, uh, they, you know, it's funny. They have big trucks, mobster. The truck wheels are like really, really high. Yeah. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then they're inside and they're big and they got tats, you know, they, they're just, trying to they're wearing a tank top and they're huge oh, yeah, yeah. it's all about yeah, yeah. big 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 they want to be big i don't know are they trying to compensate for something i have no idea but some people are like that some people want big 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 some people want sporty they want a sports car they want a fast sports car you know even though you push the gas and now uh, you're gonna get a, a speeding ticket so everybody's different i'm not i'm not here to judge anyone we're all different mm -hmm. we all have different insecurities we all have different goals so if you want to use this stuff, then give it a shot. Just make sure you buy from a legitimate place because a lot of these peptide companies are sketchy. There's no regulations. You could you could buy, um, you could be buying something that's not even what they're selling. You could be buying something that's completely different. They could sell you GHRP instead of the ACE. You know, you don't know. And then you get some results, you're like, yeah, this stuff works. So Make sure you go a legitimate company when you use that. That's all I ask. So, Mobster, finish your final thoughts and take us some disclaimer. I thought it was a really good show. Uh, I thought the guys are literally learning a lot about Ace in this one. No, I say this as someone who's well over 300 pounds, as Steve knows. It is an argument to be made for exactly what Steve said earlier on in terms of uh, some people's inherent desire to just be the absolute biggest they possibly can be. And I understand it, but it's perverse, Steve. You and I got more muscular and stronger. Uh, it, we, 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 we didn't kind of get hung up on it in the way that you would have expected us to have done. Literally, as we got bigger, the need to be got big, to get bigger wasn't as crazy as it was when we started. And whether that's just the, the, the body compensating or whether that's adjusting to the fact that we're bigger, you know, I, you know, I moan about coats not fitting and having to, to, you know, having to adjust my belt size for my weightlifting belt and all that kind of stuff. And then moaning about not being able to put enough weights on the machine and all that kind of stuff. So it, it gets kind of weird in that you start off with this kind of process and you end up in a different direction or feeling differently about it while still being, in my case, over 300 pounds. So there's things around about so that, Steve. You know what? In my mind, the best use of this, and again, I would want to be careful with the guys that went crazy with the site enhancement, the best use 
of any of these similar peptides, and I'm thinking specifically of ACE031, but a couple of the others would be site enhancement of a poor muscle group. And again, the, the classic example would be uh, you've got an absolutely amazing physique, you're ripped with shreds, et cetera, et cetera, but your calf insertions are real, real high to the point, and I'm thinking of Ronnie Comedy here, 300 pounds on stage, ripped, 23-inch arms, huge chest, massive back, great big Zeppelin-like like quads, and yet, although he had large muscular calves compared to the normal guy, they weren't extreme as much as the rest of his physique was. So something like this that might have a site-specific enhancement potential used sensibly to balance the physique out. And again, I'd want someone coaching me to keep an eye on, not let me get like, you know, 40-inch calves or something stupid. That's where I can see the potential for this going. In terms of the actual finance, et cetera, et cetera, and the potential risk for side effects, and simply the fact that some studies showed next to no results for very, very similar products, or as we said, nosebleeds and gum bleeding and so on and so forth. It's just not enough evidence of any of the things that we truly want from a product like this for me to want to go that particular direction. And of course, I'm a cheap ass. I'm not going to spend $6,000 or $12,000 a month. I barely spent that kind of money putting my gym together, Steve. I'm not sure that I'd want to spend it on a peptide. But again, we do these podcasts to give you the information for those of you that are willing to take the risk. And for those of you that have the disposable income, you might have a trust fund. Not everybody on the podcast is poor. Some of you are well off. And in fact, Steve talked about this previously. The typical PED user has sufficient disposable income. They're not out robbing people or mugging people for the money. So again, you're spending $500 to $1,000 a month. You can save your money up. You can give this a spin. And the information is out there for you. Please know we are not doctors on the opinions that are ours. It is our view and based on the experience and views on the topic. Our podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.